Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. Uh, thank all of you for joining us here today, either in the room. Good to see you men. Uh, or maybe you're joining us uh, on our YouTube channel live, or maybe you're catching an archive, uh, which uh, is, is available to you. Uh, if you are watching live and sometimes you, you miss it and you're like, hey, I'd like to have the archive of that, you can do that uh, by going to rickandbubba.com. If you'll just subscribe to the YouTube channel, and that doesn't cost anything. It just gives you an alert every time there's a new Bible study. Or you can catch the archive on our uh, Rick and Bubba podcast channel. We put an audio archive out uh, every every week as well. Now, if you're looking to go back in time, say, you know, we're, we're today will be the, the third session of our study of Genesis, and you want to go back and say, I missed the first one or the second one, or I'll, maybe I want to go back on a study I missed. There's about seven years' worth of Bible studies. Uh, the audio archives, uh, as far as going back chronologically, you can go to BurgessMinistries.com, uh, click on Listen, and then you'll see the, the Wednesday Bible study there, and uh, you'll go through and see all the different opportunities. We're also developing an app, uh, which should be out hopefully this summer, that'll make navigating some of the older stuff a little bit easier. So uh, we're working on that. All right, some things we need to talk about. Let's uh, let's look at what's happening with themanchurch.com. Uh, themanchurch.com is a men's discipleship strategy. Uh, we have a, a website that you can go, and, and really you can find anything that you would ever need uh, to, for, for men's ministry. We have a, a complete discipleship strategy, which features us getting together and doing services, uh, high challenge than putting men into curriculum, uh, we have three different curriculum. Two of them are already out. Another one coming out uh, uh, this year, and uh, that gets you your small group curriculum that you need. And there's 40 weeks worth of that. Uh, if you need individual resources, hey, you just need something for yourself. We we have those there. Uh, we just added a new uh, 100 and uh, what is it, a 42 day uh, devotional that you can go and, and look at that we just added, where we we go and uh, there's. There's 42 different men that have a different topic every day in different uh, fields where they work uh, by Lance Ingram, uh, who is uh, – we have both of his books there in our in our resources. But that's a new one that was just added. That if you don't have that resource, get it. Uh, so anyway, that's there. If you need speakers, we've got that there. And, and speaking of that, a lot of our guys are going out. Uh, apparently, uh, J- January the 23rd is a really big day in men's ministry because we have three different men in three different cities at three different churches all on the same day. So if you are in Troy, Alabama, you can see Rich Wingo on the 23rd of, uh, of January at First Baptist Troy. They're all doing the men's discipleship strategy. Mark Garnett uh, will be in Montgomery. Uh, he'll be at Landmark Church. And then that same day, Bay Springs Baptist Church in Dothan, Alabama, Andy Blanks will be there. Uh, so coming up on the 24th of January, I, I'll be at Truett McConnell University. I'll be speaking there for their convocation. They'll they'll have it uh, open to the whole public that night in Cleveland, uh, Georgia, and I look forward to being with those guys, uh, ladies and men, uh, for the convocation there at Truett McConnell University. Uh, 28th, Helmsy goes out uh, in January, Cash Point Baptist Church, Ardmore, Tennessee. That is also a man church. Now, if you're looking to attend conferences, we do those as well. The Pursuit Men's Conference, Jonathan Evans, Andy Blanks, uh, Charles Billingsley, and I will be there at the Dothan Civic Center in Dothan, Alabama, February 18th and 19th. And if you would like to join us for that, you can. 
uh, and that'll be going on in Dothan. Those tickets are available right now. You can go to themanchurch.com or burgessministries.com or even rickandbubba.com and get tickets to that. We look forward to seeing you there. But on that same weekend, again, it's an active weekend uh, in February, uh, we'll have Helmsy uh, with Lance Ingram, who I just mentioned, along with Sid Breen, and uh, they'll be uh, and Tyler Stovall. They'll all be speaking in Hoax Bluff, Alabama, at the Men of Iron Conference at Cross Creek Community Church. That's the same weekend, just in the northern part of Alabama. And then also, there's two man churches going on Friday and Saturday night in Scottsboro, Alabama. Same weekend, uh, Brian Gunn uh, speaks on the 19th, and Mark Garnett speaks on the 18th. So we got we got a lot going on uh, in January and February. You can find all that at themanchurch.com. If you can't find it there, go to burgessministries.com or rickandbubba.com, and it's all there. So let's uh, let's open up in a word of prayer and let's dive right in. Today we'll be talking about Genesis chapter three, the fall. Uh, it is a biggie. So let's uh, let's open in prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity for us to be together and to study your word helping us to understand, Lord, the state that we're in and how we got here and what are the repercussions of that. Uh, and, and may we understand that today, but more importantly, may we celebrate that you offer, you offer redemption for the fall, redemption, reconciliation, grace, mercy. Uh, and may we see that today, Lord, as we learn uh, from your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so turn with me, uh, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, hold Genesis chapter 3, uh, and then let's go to um, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, uh, just turn over there. Because Romans, uh, Paul is talking about this. We did a study of Romans. You can find it in our archives. Uh, listen to Paul talking about the fall of mankind and what took place. Uh, Therefore, just as sin came into the world, world, I'm in verse 12, through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam, who we're going to talk about today, to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, meaning we're all affected by this, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Praise God for that. For if many died through one man's trespass, which we'll talk about today, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to the justification and life for all men. For as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Whew, that's chills right there. Praise God for that. So now with that in mind, turn over to Genesis chapter 3. Rick, why, why, do, why do we see the things that we see? Why, why is there so much difficulty? Why is there so much sickness? Why is there so much death? Uh, well, today, if you are watching or listening to this live, um, it is January the 19th. 
Uh, so 14 years ago today, um, I, um, I found out about the earthly death of my youngest son. 14 years ago today. Uh, if William Bronner Burgess were still here on earth, he would be turning 17 uh, coming up this May. He went to heaven at two and a half years old. And, and the things that, uh, that that has taught, and, and we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that today. I mean, um, when I thought about today reflecting on that, the things I've seen God do through that. But the, the, the bigger point I want to make today is I also became very familiar with the fall, very, very familiar with it. I, I can remember, and, and there's so many examples I could give you, and everybody listening to this, watching this, or in the room, you have your own, sadly. But I just remember just the, how riveting it was to to see that baby blue casket that was sized for a child and thinking to myself, this is not the way it was supposed to be. And thinking this can't be the way it should be. And you know pretty quick you're living in a fallen creation. And you know pretty quick that uh, that reconciliation and that redemption is the only thing that gives us hope, that this all will be resolved. So how did we get in this situation? Well, uh, we find that out today. And I want to say something. When we just read Romans chapter 5, I hope that all the males that are in this room and the males that are watching and listening to this, you never hear Paul mention Eve one time. All he talks about is Adam. And Adam did this, and Adam's trespass. And Adam, Adam is the one who's held accountable for this. And like I've told you guys many times, uh, when my wife, and um, you know, the, she, if you've never read her book, it's called Bronner, A Journey to Understand. It's, it's everywhere. Uh, or you can get it on audio now. What God did through that woman to get these words down is incredible. And if you know, and, and I, I mean, I have people this week that have sent me pictures of that book and it being handed to yet another family that's struggling and how this has helped me and God spoke to me through this. And, and it's not a book about Bronner. It's a book that features Bronner and it's a book that has what Sharon and I went through, but the book's about God. Just like it's, it's, it's got scripture because that's where the answers are, not in Sherry's commentary or my commentary or anybody else's, but what does God say about this? But when I was going through this, looking in Romans chapter 5, I realized that Eve is, is never, never mentioned. And, and when, you, when you start reading those very, very familiar words in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we know when we left last week's study, we know that Adam had been told that he was free to eat from the tree of life and, and everything else that was in the garden. He just was not free to eat from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we talked about what, what does that mean? At this point before the fall, what has happened is God has established himself to all of creation, including mankind, and he has said, do you trust that I'm right and that I will decide what is right and wrong? Do you trust that? Now, we're going to find out that human beings were convinced that maybe we should have a say in it, that we don't really trust God to make those choices. But, in, but what he's saying is, I'm withholding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and what that, what that uh, is, signifies 
is that you are my creation and I am your Lord God and what I say about right and wrong is correct. Can you just trust that? I withhold nothing from you. Everything you need is here. Do you trust that? Do you think I'm withholding something from you? Can you trust that the way I've set this up, including what he deemed to be marriage, as we talked about last week, do you trust that that's right? And, And he allowed, as we will see, a choice to be made. Now, he's sovereign. He understands, unfortunately, the choices that we make even before we make them, but he does allow it for us to have a choice. You know, I I hear many times people say, well, you're saying that you can resist God. No, I didn't say that at all. What I'm saying is God in his sovereign uh, authority allows choice. No, if God God says, hey, you're not going to have a choice and I'm so powerful, you'll do exactly what I say, he certainly has the power to do that. This allowing of choice, as I talked about last week, is because of our job to glorify him. But we will find a choice being made here. Does God know the choice? Yes. Is God ready to redeem the choice? Yes. Does he allow the choice? Apparently, because the choice is made. So we start in, in verse 3, at this, I mean chapter 3, verse 1. At this point, man and woman have been married, and the last thing that we heard last week was that uh, this, is, uh, this is what God deems holy. And, uh, and then we, we, we find out that the serpent is the first thing that's mentioned uh, when we start chapter 3. So who, who, is the, who is this serpent, or who's portraying themselves as a, a serpent? Uh, that's Satan. That's, and you say, well, why did God create Satan? He didn't. He created Lucifer. And then, and then Lucifer became Satan when he tried to overthrow God after what? After he, too, had been provided everything he could possibly ever need. And he decided himself, does this sound familiar, that that wasn't enough. I'm not satisfied with where God has put me. So he's got me the highest-ranking angel. I, I have everything I could possibly ever need. That's not enough for me. I want to be you. And so he has, and that goes back to what we talked about in Genesis chapter 1, he has been thrown down to the earth. He has been punished by God along with a third of the angels. And we find him uh, rolling himself into this new creation that God has come up with because what you have to understand, you're going to see pretty quick that Satan right out of the gate is what? He's disguising himself. And the Bible tells us he disguised himself as a serpent. The Bible says at times it's, uh, you see a vision of him as a dragon. But what does he also disguise himself as? An angel of light. So be real, real careful if you're going to try to go out there uh, and, uh, and take on um, the adversary uh, because many times what you think uh, is desirable to your flesh or it seems like it's just fantastic and wonderful may be a complete illusion. And, and this is the other thing that, that you got to understand about, about, about Satan here. It says that, that he masqueraded as something that he wasn't, and it also tells us that he is crafty, which means, and this is the first point I want you to write down or to hold on to today, when he shows up as a serpent and he finds his way into this garden, he already knows where Adam and Eve are susceptible. He knows. And he knows where you're susceptible, and he knows where I am susceptible. But here's the point I want you to write down, because that you probably heard before. But here's the thing that just that leveled me. Do you know where you're susceptible? 
He does. But do you? Are you still delusional about where you're susceptible? And that's why he keeps winning. You think you're not susceptible, but you keep failing. Can I let you can I let you in on something? That means you're susceptible. Okay, if you hadn't figured it out yet, wherever you keep failing, that's probably where you're susceptible because that's where your flesh and uh, you know, I, I doubt very many of us rank Satan himself like Adam and Eve did, but but our flesh is fallen because of what's about to happen. And it also may be the third of the angels, and, and, and uh, it could be demonic. It could be spiritual. But trust me, the adversary, whatever he sends our way, he knows where we're susceptible, and we better know it. Because if we don't know it, we are a sitting duck. So when you know where you're susceptible, and I'll tell you things that I've figured out in my walk, you know what I do? I fortify myself. I build walls. I mean, I literally have found myself in situations. Now, this took time through sanctification because for some reason we want to be sin daredevils forever. I don't know why. Probably because we like it. But I have learned now that there are certain situations, and I'm not exaggerating, where I literally will just leave. I'm just gone. I just, I'm not going to be there. And I might be there and something change in the room or change in the place, and I'll leave the place. As opposed to, well, that's going to be awkward if I leave. No, what's going to be awkward is when I fail and when I sin. That's going to be a lot more awkward. So if I know that I'm susceptible to something, I just don't put myself in that situation if I can control it. And uh, and, and and you'll see in Scripture there are many times, and you can probably figure this out, especially with a lot of men that get involved in this, Paul has told us many times there are certain sins you just need to run from. Because it it, it, it is true. Here, here's the good news and here's the bad news. The good news is... This is not Star Wars. That's the good news. This is not some Eastern mysticism. We're not yin and yang, and there's good and there's evil, and they're equal, and one's dark and one's light. That's hogwash. That's, that's mysticism. That is not biblical. We have a creator, and we have a created being, Lucifer, who is an angel, a very high-ranking angel, okay? And we see that Lucifer is created by God. So Lucifer is not God with the, the Darth Vader hood on, okay? And we're trying to go to the good force, not the bad force. That's not what we have here. That's the good news. There's a big demotion from God down to Lucifer. But he ain't a homecoming game for us. For us, he's problematic because we're not God, okay? So, so what we have to do is be sure that we what If he faces us, or any forces of his faces us, who should we send into the battle? God, not ourselves. You you look in the book of Jude, which we're studying now at, at Valleydale. We just started, and I don't know whether our pastor will go into this part. He probably will, but there's a part in the book of Jude where you see Jesus Christ brought into the fight against Satan for the Moses uh, uh, for the body of Moses, and it's the archangel Michael that brings Jesus into the battle. If the archangel Michael needs Jesus, to fight Lucifer, you probably do too. Okay, so uh, so so anyway, um, understand where we are. Do you kind of see how this set up now? So here they are, and you see that many times, and you're going to see this as part of the fall today, and hopefully we'll get to all this. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "Now, I've heard many." People talk about this. I remember the first time I heard Bubba say it on the show, and I agreed. 
nowhere here does Moses, inspired by God, decide to tell us why Eve isn't surprised that the serpent is talking. Um, I mean, you know, you'd like to see one line, and and Eve was startled. You know, apparent. I, I don't know what's going on here, but whatever this original version of the serpent is, it's talking. So the serpent says to the woman, and we've talked about this many times, but it's worthy of review. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And don't miss that. Okay, so so how, how does the adversary approach the, the, the first woman ever made? You pretty well versed on what God said? Because I'm going to question you, and I'm going to make you question what he even said. Notice he starts out saying what? You can't eat of it. You can't have any of this. No, he didn't say that at all. He said we, we can't have the, 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 the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. So first of all, listen to how specifically Satan is here. Did God actually say, you, Eve, shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, see, what he's doing, and he'll do this to you, he'll do it to me, if we don't know the Word of God, it's over. I can't tell you the sins in my life that I have been redeemed of but still regret because of the earthly damage that was done. No excuse whatsoever because I, I, I'm without excuse because I've always had the Word of God in its, in, its, in its fullness. But I chose not to know it. So I committed a lot of sins out of nothing more than just ignorance of not knowing what the Word of God said about it. So when my flesh or uh, forces of evil, or if, you know, I, I don't think I've ever ranked Satan since he's not um, omnipresent, but uh, whatever the sin nature, which we all have now because of the fall, is that when when I had my own version of, did God actually say blank about this? You know, this falls in the category of, well, I'm in love with this girl. I'm sure it's going to work out. She'll probably end up being my wife anyway. So God probably doesn't care if I have sex with her now. Well, if you don't know Scripture, you may talk yourself into that. You know, well, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, God understands that I, I need some money right now here at the, at the office, so I don't think he'd have a problem with me taking some, and I'm going to bring it back, of course, and all this, or take this to do that, or lie about this. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm lying right now because of this. That's perfectly understandable. And if you don't understand what Scripture says, and, hey, I'm kind of messing with somebody's marriage over here, that's not a big deal. But if you knew what Scripture said, it's a very big deal. So, uh, hey, I, 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 let's go to the clinic because I'm not real sure where life begins. I mean, I mean, surely it's not at conception. I mean, that don't make any sense. That's not a human being. We're just terminating a pregnancy. We're not killing anybody. Well, if, if you don't know Scripture, or in that case you don't know science, you, you, you probably you'll make mistakes because what happens is, is what, what do you hear in the back of your mind? Did God actually say this about this? I, don't, I have no idea what he said. Well, that's what that's what Satan's trying to figure out. Does, does, does Eve have this down? And, oh, by the way, I'm going to see her when I don't see a husband around. Because who was actually told what God said? We covered that last week. Adam. He, he never addresses Eve with this that we see. If he did, it's not in the Bible. He just told Adam this is what they're supposed to do. And you'll see at the end of this, apparently, he's going to come back to Adam on a lot of explaining. So, first of all, understand that concept. So, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, now, this is that thing I told you to wait for, uh, underline uh, verse 3, but God said. Now, who, was, who did God start calling himself during the creation 
and then back in chapter 2. Lord God. Suddenly Eve's already demoted him. So see, Satan knows that, that, that she's starting to kind of wonder if some of this stuff is unreasonable. See, we went to that Jehovah. Remember me talking about that? We, we, we were going to Yahweh, the Lord God, meaning this isn't just like El- Elohim, which is what she's using here. This isn't just my overall mastery of, I mean, my overall creation. I'm in charge. When he keeps going, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, this says, I am now Lord. I am the master of all creation, including you human beings. I'm actually the authority. And you see right here, Eve already has demoted him back to just God. Don't miss that in here. That, that's, a big, that's a big catch. But God said, she didn't say, but the Lord God said, but God said, how many times, remember, this is that big man upstairs stuff I talk about, where you try to make God easier to sin against by demoting him down to something that's not near as fearful. For she said that, uh, the, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Now catch this too. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Did God tell her she couldn't touch it? Did God tell Adam they can't touch it? He's never said this. Why, why is this happening? i got to make my case better. i got to make God seem unreasonable. I'm setting myself up to agree with Satan that God's unreasonable. He, he may not have my best interests at stake. Maybe he's full of himself. He never said anything about touching it. So now she's adding to it to make it sound. You ever had your kids do that? Oh, you don't ever let us go anywhere. Nowhere? You never get to go anywhere? You know, what are they trying to say? They try to act like you're unreasonable, that your authority is unreasonable. We never get to go anywhere. And, of course, you could name off, what, 20 places they've been able to go. They're just not getting to go to this one. So, anyway, that, that is what Eve is doing here. But the serpent, for said to the woman, you will not surely die. God's exaggerating. He's not going to kill you. I thought he loved you. Hey, Rick, God's not going to let your son die. He lo- I thought he loved you. Well, how did that happen? I thought he loved you. So now God says if you eat off a tree he didn't want you to eat off of, he's going to kill you? Well, he's not going to do that. He's just trying to scare you all. You will not surely die. And then he says, let me tell you why he's trying to scare you. Five, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. But that's not what God was doing at all. What God was saying, if y'all would just trust me and live under my lordship and live under my authority, I actually have a life planned out for you that, that won't harm you. And the things that he's called us to, he's done these not because he's a tyrant or an ogre, but because he's a God who loves us and knows that if we will listen to how he says things should be done, it would save us a lot of problems. But Eve's been convinced that God is trying to withhold something from them. Verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired and make one wise. Do I have to add anything to that? How many sins have you and I committed because it looks so alluring? It's desirable, isn't it? But that, but that, that, but how many times has the way it looked and the way it turned out not to be right? But see, that's that sin. That's that, we're about to hit that sin nature. This, this is that problem about uh, about how we see things. 
She saw that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. But no matter how good something looks, no matter how promising something looks, listen to me, and I'm talking to myself as I talk to you, no matter how good something looks to you, if it's in conflict with what God told you, it is not to be consumed. It is not to be taken. It's not going to be all right just because it looked good in the moment. If God has withheld it, if God has denied it, then then I don't care how it looks, he's right and your desires are wrong. And oh, if I had learned that earlier in my life, I would be a man with many fewer regrets. I think about that. I'm, I think y'all heard me talk about it. It was, a, it was a men's deal that we did. It was in Mobile. And I, I don't remember how many years ago it was now. And Rich Wingo and I were there. And um, so I got up and, and, I, and I did a message. And when it was my turn, there were some other speakers that were there. And we all were benefiting from, from the speakers. And I got my opportunity. And it just happened to be that my message was right before the time of response. You know, this thing that some reason people are stopping, stop doing now, which I, I can't comprehend. But anyway, it demands a response. What if nobody responds? Fine. But don't deny them the opportunity to respond. Yeah. What if they're just emotional? Well, then, then we'll see the fruit of that. But you don't deny them the chance to respond. Okay? Aren't you glad somebody didn't deny you the chance to respond if you're redeemed in here? But anyway, so men started coming forward that were like my age and, and a little older. And I began to hear them weep and wail. I mean, uncomfortably. I mean, where you're up there and you're kind of like, I really kind of wish this would stop. It's very uncomfortable to hear. You ever, you ever heard an animal get injured and you're kind of like, I kind of wish that would stop. I, I really kind of hope that I'd made a good shot and the animal just went down and it was quiet. I, I don't like hearing this struggle. And, and that's the way it sounded. It was pain. And some younger guys were, were coming forward and, and Rich Wingo stood up and stopped them. And they looked at Rich, and he said, I, I want you to listen. Listen to these men that are much older than you. What you hear is the sound of regret. Listen to the sound of it. Now, thankfully, if they'll go ahead and repent, well, they'll also experience the wonderful sound of redemption. But right now, they've been confronted with their sin, and they're wailing and they're weeping over the regret have ever going down the roads they went down and the messes that they've made. I can speak to that. But we see that she took of its fruit and ate. And then there's the line that I have taught and preached and tried to apply all over this country. And then she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. What in the world is he doing? How many of you had made yourself feel better that Adam was nowhere to be found during this? Well, I mean, his wife got away from him. I mean, it's her fault. Adam's trying to do the right thing. No, apparently he was there and was somehow seeing this encounter. The Bible says that she gave it to him because he was with her. I had uh, someone ask me last Sunday, or was it two Sundays ago, um, when Sherry and I taught this in our Sunday school class, 
what should Adam have done? And I said, well, I'll tell you what Adam should have done. Adam should have stepped in, and he should have said, Eve, God told me and I told you that we are not to eat from this tree. I don't know why you're here, serpent, or who you are and what you're doing, but we will not eat from this tree. And then he should have killed the serpent or attempted to and say, don't ever come near my wife again. Adam, for you, Eve, for you and I, we will stand on what God said to do. We ain't eating from the tree. It's not going to happen. That's not Adam being a tyrant. That's not Adam being uh, domineering. That's Adam doing his job for his wife as he was instructed to do because he loves her and he loves God, not because he's trying to be boss and unreasonable. But he didn't do that. And what we found is our first man that was created and the first husband on the planet was passive. And how many things do we let go and let our wives wander off into that we don't step in and say that's not going to happen because I think that's going to be detrimental to you and for our family and to God. And I love you enough to say that book really shouldn't be in the house. I love you enough to say these friends that, that uh, were over here the other night, I didn't really like how that went. Uh, hey, man, what I heard you talking about at church the other day it sounded more like gossip than it did prayer request. Let's, let's keep an eye on that because I love you. And then, of course, you have to live it out in your own life. You can't say these things, then you'd be worse because then you have no credibility. But Adam simply should have stepped in. And you know what I love about the, the, the church age? When we get to the New Testament, once they get the Holy Spirit and they start the church, you don't find any passive men anymore. I'd be hard-pressed for you to find a hero of the New Testament and that man be passive. They were at one time, but not after redemption they weren't. Not after the Holy Spirit. So Adam was passive, so he ate too. It said, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So... What, what, what is all this about? So they were living in a, a world and that had no shame. There was no shame. There was nothing shameful about each other's bodies. There was nothing uh, that, that had been compromised sexually. There, there was nothing wrong. But now at this point, now that they've sinned, they immediately look and say, we got to cover ourselves. We're ashamed. Shame has now entered into the creation and they saw each other in a completely different way, which you're, you're going to see a great uh, example of that coming up. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. You ever been there? You don't really want God around because what you're doing or what you just did You'd rather him not be there. The problem is he's already there. Just like in the, does everybody does anybody think God doesn't know what happened? That somehow he just well, I missed that. I went I wasn't paying attention. I didn't know what I don't know what y'all have done. And and by the way, it's the same way for us. He knows everything we do. I think about this the many times in Scripture. You think about like in Second Peter. Do you remember when Second Peter talks about how God's going to refine the world by fire the next time? 
and that everything, every atom, everything's just going to be actually pulled and just destroyed in one violent eruption. Um, and those that are unredeemed will be destroyed with it in, in the day of judgment. And he's talking about all these things. And then he says a statement. He goes, in light of this, you'd think we'd live our lives differently. I mean, if we really believe this, you'd think we would live differently. And um, if and, and so it, I think about that all the time. I've lived my life many times as if God can't see me. I, I just like the feel of that better, that somehow I can I can press pause on him. But every sin I've ever committed, especially uh, that I, I drug God into that. Every everything that I see or hear, I'm exposing him to it. And when you think of it like that, you, you it, it it's 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 it really is a different deal. I, I think if Adam and Eve had actually thought for a minute, wait a minute, God sees us. It it, it might have gone differently, but we know that now instead of walking with God. Isn't it wonderful because of the redemption for those of us being redeemed? The thing that I look forward to so much, as uh, as John was talking about in First John, that I don't have to shrink at His coming. Harry, what's that sound? Sounds like Jesus is coming back, and I'm running to Him. I'm not running from Him. I'm running to Him because He resolved the situation. But here. That hasn't, I think that hasn't happened yet. But the Lord God called to the man, underline that twice. Why is he not saying anything to Eve? She, didn't she do it? Isn't she in trouble? She is, but there's, there's no addressing her. Don't forget, since today is the anniversary of my youngest son going to heaven to his real father, to his perfect father, and leaving the presence of his flawed father, Remember that Sherry, like Eve, even though Sherry knows the Word of God forward and backward, and Sherry is a devout follower of Jesus Christ, my wife, in her time of distress, what is the thing that we all learned? I'll never forget when she wrote it down and gave it to me. In this time, I needed my husband because no one could replace him. And see, the reason why that is, is is she knows even in her state as a woman, it doesn't make her inferior. It doesn't make her less. It just, in that moment, God's design for marriage came roaring back. And even though Sherry knew God and knew the word of God, in her moment of despair, we are, we've got a really dark thing going on here. Right now, I need my husband to step up and say, I'll talk to God about this. She said, because no one can replace him. Not the pastor, not, uh, not Sunday school teachers, not family members, not friends. And nobody can replace you. And this is being laid out. The first time God ever dealt with something in marriage and some problem, the first time it ever happens, he said, I need to talk to the man. And I'm going to ask you what happened here. So he says to the man, where are you? Does anybody think God doesn't know where Adam is? You know, this is that, this is that moment where God does this. Did you ever do this as a parent? Have you ever just wanted to tell your kid before you say anything, I know what happened? 
when you come by and say, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want to see what you have to say about them. Have you ever wanted to say to them before they made a complete fool of themselves and lied to you? I already know. By the way, kids, if you're watching this, your parents already know. Okay? And, um, but, but you ever had that test, see if they'll lie to you? So he's going to Adam right now and saying, so tell me what's going on here. You think God didn't know what's going on? So he says to Adam, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Yeah, not really coming clean, but he's letting God know something's changed. Okay, but he won't really come clean about what happened yet. And then God said, who told you that you were naked? And notice God has to ask the straight question now because he realizes, in my opinion, and that doesn't, it's not worth much, but it looks pretty obvious, he's not going to get a straight answer from Adam. Adam's going to walk around this a little bit and try to kind of. So God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded who? You not to eat. He didn't say y'all, the two of you, you and your wife. I commanded you not to eat from this tree. Can you imagine God coming to us and looking to our houses and saying, but I told you this shouldn't be going on here. Well, you know, my wife, no, no, and kids, no, 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 I told you how it should be here. Why isn't it that way? Why, why, why is this house not set up the way I told you to set it up? And then I think a lot of times in my life I'd probably say, well, now, did you really say to do it that way? Because I was so ignorant of the Scriptures and how it should be laid out. So the man said what? And this one you know sinner, I mean, sin has entered the garden. Go over to chapter 2 and look again at when he was given the gift of Eve, the perfect helper. Look at 23. The man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. What a celebration. Lord, thank you for this gift, the gift of a wife, the gift of woman. And what happens now in chapter 3, after the fall, verse 12, he throws her under the bus. He blames her. Celebration. Cast in her side. Now you know sin has arrived. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Now don't miss that what Adam's also throwing out here. You made her. <laughs> Not only is he throwing Eve under the bus, he's kind of saying, no, you the one brought this. I was by myself. I was fine. I know I was asking about, you know, <laughs> why all the animals are paired up and all that, but you the one that took the lead on this. You said I needed this helper, some helper you made. Now I want you to think about that. I mean, that's in play here because he didn't just say my wife had me eat, and I did. He said, the woman who you gave me, I mean, you the one brought her in here, and look what she's done. It's not on me. For some reason, I don't know how Adam's come to that conclusion. I mean, we, we come to that conclusion a lot. Hey, this ain't my fault. I, don't know. I mean, I can't, hey, I can't make them do it. I make our own choices. But really, the thing that is the most convicting to me, and you can take this and apply it if you're married or not, I don't like it, but but I know it's true. You ever had something be true? You don't have to like it. That don't make it untrue. 
When I'm having problems with my wife, and I do, no marriage is, is without problems, arguments, disagreements. When I see my wife in the rare moments where she's not acting the way that she should act under the authority of Christ, I'm just looking in a mirror. It's always a reflection of my leadership. I'm the one that calls this spirit in the house. I'm the one that's caused this behavior because she's just reflecting back to me who I am and where I am right now. And usually when I correct that, it all falls back into place because I've never really seen a woman oppose a man that actually ran his house and loved his wife and served his wife and led his wife the way the Bible says to. Usually when they're pushing back is when it's not being done the way God said to do it. Means it's lost that servant feel and it's kind of turned into a domineering feel. Or I want to have my way, or I'm disrespecting you, or I'm talking down to you. As my wife has said many times, I don't like that tone. And she's right. You know what? I didn't know I had a tone for a long time, but there is a tone. So we see this happen. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And Eve, who's also not going to take responsibility, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's not on me. Serpent came in here and undermined everything. Now watch God, because this is the thing that has Satan waging war and hating our guts. Some of the best advice I've ever been told is from a dear friend of mine that said, Rick, you have to understand, as much as Jesus loves you, Satan hates you. Why does he hate me? The angels never got offered redemption. All he does is hand out punishment on Lucifer. There's no, there's no plan of redemption for Lucifer. The angels... I mean, we, we, we even see in Scripture where it says the angels almost lean forward looking at this human thing going, what is this relationship they have with him? He offered them redemption. The third that went with Lucifer, you look at Scripture, there's no redemption for them. There's no redemption for Lucifer. And, uh, and God's going to make that real clear. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, I have to give uh, my radio partner, Bubba, um, props on this. He says, I don't understand why anyone would keep around them or let them live an animal that is cursed by God. This animal's cursed, but the curse is really on Lucifer, all kidding aside. And above all the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, and all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. What offspring is he talking about with Satan here? What what he's talking about is the third of the angels and any of those who become that are unredeemed, they'll all be the offsprings of Satan. And, and, And there will always be strife between human beings and the offspring of Satan. And he said, I will, I will, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Where's this he coming from? He's talking about the woman, and then he comes up. He's talking about Jesus. What he's saying is there's going to be a problem 
between you and these human women and the human men as a result of that's going to be going on to I redeem this thing fully. But let me tell you something. I'm about to work out a plan, and it's going to involve a woman. It's not going to involve Adam, but it's going to involve a woman, and I'm going to produce an offspring from her, and that offspring is going to be the end of you. So know that this this issue you tried with the woman deceiving her and deceiving her husband, you may have come in and pulled that off, but I'm going to counter that move, and I'm going to produce offspring from the womb of a human woman that will come and destroy you. Now, you're going to take shots at them along the way, and you're going to do some damage, but ultimately, and of course, when you go, you remember our study of Peter? And see, Satan knows this play is coming. He just doesn't know how it's going to be done because he's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He, he can't see the future. And so when in that difficult verses in, in 2 Peter, when it talks about when Jesus, after he'd been crucified, that he went and he stood before these demons, these angels that were that were now in bondage. And and Peter says he went down there. And let me tell you what, just to make it real simple for you to understand, it's a real deep concept. But what you finally see is, and we'll see this through our study of Genesis, Satan keeps trying to pull off a God man by himself. He's trying to counter God's move, saying, There's a God man coming. I don't know when it's coming, so I'll create my own God-man with the fallen angels, and I'm going to keep this redemption from happening. And Jesus stands there, and Second Peter talks about it after the crucifixion, right before the resurrection, and he stands before all these demons, and he looks at them, he says, you didn't do it. I'm the God-man. Here's what, here's what my father was telling you about, and it's done. And you guys didn't do it. You're defeated. You couldn't pull it off and I'm fulfilling the plan, I'm redeeming them, and I'm going to counter what you did in the garden, and I'm giving it back to them. Their authority is going to be given back through me, and I'm going to reconcile them back to my Father, and we're going to have the garden again. Somebody say amen to that. All right, so then the woman said, to the woman he said, I will multiply your pain and childbearing, which we see, and your pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. All right, now hang on to that. All right, so what this means in the sin state, this is why marriages have to be redeemed. He said, now that this fall has happened, here's what's going to happen. Everybody's place in the marriage is out of whack now. My, my wife talks about this all the time. It's not very popular when she talks about it sometimes. She said, in all of our sin natures, we want to manipulate and, and, and usurp the authority of our husbands. We all do. It's our sin nature. And here it is being handed out. He says, now, Eve, what's going to happen you're going to desire to take the place of your husband and the leadership of the family and in the marriage. That's going to be the problem. That's going to have to get redeemed. You're always going to try to overthrow him and usurp and manipulate him and to take that place. Now, to Adam, what he's saying is, now the problem you're going to have, you need to lead the family, but you're going to mess that up now in the fallen state. You're going to try to dominate your wife. You're not going to lead anymore. Now you're going to keep trying to dominate. So you're going to try to dominate her, and she's going to try to manipulate you. So if you're in marriage and you both are unredeemed, that's what's going on. You're still in the fallen state. You're trying to manipulate him, and you're trying to dominate her. So you got to be redeemed. And when we're redeemed, what happens? Okay, so this is the kind of way I'm supposed to lead. Oh, and this is the way 
that I am as a wife. Under redemption, now I am undergirding my husband. I'm not, I'm not unequal to him. I'm undergirding my husband. I am his helper. I help him to lead the way he needs to lead. And at the same time, he's now giving up himself for me. He's not domineering the house. We're not all walking on eggshells for him to have one of his moods. He is now serving his family, serving his wife, and as he serves us and meets our needs before his very own and he sacrificially gives himself for us like his Lord and Savior, guess what? I respect him, and when I respect him, he loves me, and when he loves me, I respect him. It's redeemed. But this is part of the fall. And you need to recognize it as part of the fall. And to Adam, he said this, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you in pain and you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it which you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Here's all the consequences, and I'll, I'll run through them quickly because we don't have time to go through all of them. Uh, so we saw the, sin, the, the, the first consequence, sin always matter, matters. The first consequence of the fall was what? Fear. Now their relationship with God's not, not right. There's not, not, not the respect and the awe of fear, but there was a, a fear of God that really was never intended for there to be a terror about God if I'm not in the same, right place with him. But that's when the second one, what, was blaming each other. That's the second consequence. Uh, you know, he, he blamed the woman. She blamed the serpent. Everybody blamed everything. The third result was the ongoing consequences. Uh, keep in mind, these are not new commandments that God's giving out. He, what he's saying is this is what's going to happen. There's consequences for sin. Sin always matters. Can it be redeemed? Hallelujah, yes. But does sin always matter? Yes. And he said these consequences of sin, until I do the new heaven and the new earth, they will continue. Can you be redeemed? Yes. Can the consequences of sin still be around you? Yes. I mean, has anybody been out to try to go hunt or enjoy the outdoors? You ever had any briars tearing to you? You ever had mosquitoes bite you? You ever had a snake get after you? That's all from the fall. You ever had a beautiful day and you're like, man, what a beautiful And you're like, and then all of a sudden you then then something cuts you and then you grab hold of it, poison oak on you, you're like, well, stupid fall. So the so the consequences of sin are still going. That's that's the third result. And uh, and 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 so these are the things that, that he's handed out. So after the consequences of, of the sin, and you also see that there's a list of those, including the, and including the pain of childbearing and all that. So in 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of, of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Where'd those skins come from? PETA. Okay, from animals. Um, 22, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, and knowing good and evil, now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat it, underline that, the tree of life and eat, and live forever. All right, so the tree of life was still there. Adam could eat of that at one time. He just couldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why is God now taking away the tree of life from him? This is good. 
If Adam was able to continue to eat from the tree of life, he would never die. And if he never dies, he can never be redeemed. He would be in perpetual sin forever because that flesh, earthly life would never end. Therefore, it could never be redeemed. So even this, what sounds like punishment, like God does many times, is loaded with grace and mercy. I don't want you to live forever anymore, not your body, because it's fallen. I want your spirit to live forever, and I'm going to redeem that. But if you keep eating from the tree of life, you will stay in this place of perpetual sin, and you can't be redeemed. Oh, death, where is your sting? Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed cherubim, angels, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. He could not return to the tree of life. Where's the tree of life now? It's still there somewhere. Some people think it can't. We can't see it. It's still in. The, if you go to the place where this Garden of Eden should have been, it's it's not, it's not a pleasant place. But do these angels have it hidden from us, and we can't see it? Maybe. But the Tree of Life isn't. It, it, some say the Tree of Life is in heaven, and it will be restored to us in the new heaven, new earth. That's probably likely true. But uh, but that is why we were cut off to the Tree of Life because these sinful bodies have got to die or they've got to be glorified because as I look in the mirror every day, I see because of sin, it is slipping away. But my spirit is redeemed. And you see God working out his redemption plan even after human beings decided that they wanted to know right and wrong, and now the battle rages on. Who decides who is right and wrong? God are us. We've all eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And too many times we have decided to go our own way. And that's the sin nature. And that's the reason why the sin nature has got to be redeemed. And once our spirit comes back alive through redemption in Christ, then that sin nature must be starved. And our spirit must be fed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the, the, the never-ending mercies and grace that you have afforded us. We are so sorry for the fall, and we see the results of it everywhere. And we know that this is not heaven, but thank you for the glimpses of it we get to see. And thank you for the celebration that on these hard, hard days and these hard, hard times that we all go through, as nations or as individuals or as even friends, that we know that this is not your final plan. Thank you for showing us in the Revelation your final plan. And learning about what happened in the beginning helps us understand what's going to happen in the end. Continue, Lord, to help us as we pay the price for the fall of mankind. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If I can help you in any way, Rick at rickandbubba.com. Thanks for being with us.